Virginia Tech pulls out a victory at Miami to keep its NCAA tournament bubble hopes alive, while UVA is stunned at home by a Florida State buzzer beater yet again, one that may have sunk the Who's postseason dreams. And as we head to the final week of the regular season, who deserves to be the ACC's player and coach of the year? All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 78 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co host, the 14 time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning and happy March Eve. We are almost there. We almost made it. And uh, just in the nick of time, I I was able to take my two-year-old to his first college basketball game. Uh, I took him to the the Florida State UVA game on Saturday, so he saw quite a doozy. Uh, He did win free bacon. Uh, They have that promotion where if the opposing team misses back-to-back free throws in the second half, Everybody in attendance with a ticket uh, wins a, a pound of Smithfield bacon. So <laughs> he, he came out a winner, even though certainly Virginia did not. Uh, I think he enjoyed it, David. It, it was. I think he was a little shell shocked by the volume mm-hmm. and the bright flashing lights in the intro. I don't know if maybe I could have done something more to prepare him. Um, there's nothing <laughs> in a good way, and I guess for a two year old, maybe in a bad way. There's nothing quite like being in a basketball arena during those introductions and uh, what was tiny teal's first experience and 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 what was her reaction to all the the lights and the noise get me out of here (laughs) sarah seriously she it was sensory overload for her and and took a, a couple of visits even when we went to smaller venues like at christopher newport where my wife works in admissions laura would just freak out with with the band and it was it was just too loud for her but now she's fine yeah i wonder if we might have been better served for his first one skipping the the intros i think you know we all kind of wanted to be in the building for um senior day and what they did with kihei clark and we'll get into that a little later here in the show but um i went up you know pregame and sat with them in their in their seats uh before i went to the press row and i mean he was just sort of motionless like eyes wide and uh, he couldn't tell me afterward when the introductions ended if he liked it or not i said hmm. was that cool and he said i don't know yeah. <laughs> i think that's probably a reasonable uh reaction now he's been to a an orioles game he's been to a richmond squirrels game and, and now he's been to this tiny teal obviously you know older than than evan is uh what was her first sporting event her first was i would think her mother took her to a Nats game. That that would be my my guess. I mean, she's she's been to a bunch now. She's yeah. been to college football and college basketball. She's been to the Final Four. She's been to the ACC tournament. She's been to Wimbledon. Uh, that, that that girl's seen some sporting events now. She's got me beat. I, I've done the U.S. Open in tennis. I've never done Wimbledon, so uh, she's already ahead of me. What uh, what's left? Does she have one on her bucket list? Can, can you have a bucket list when you're that young? I guess I don't. I don't <laughs> think I don't think so. She, I think she more tolerates it because her parents are into it so much. <laughs> but I, you know, and heck, she's she's been to the World Series, so she, she's on a she's on a pretty good roll now. 
yeah, let's let's hope she keeps it up. And I'm curious, does, for her, is there a difference between, because I know you guys have, as a family, you know, done baseball and done different events with her. And then I know, you know, I've seen her also come visit you when you're working. Yeah. Um, is it cool? Does she think it's cool to come visit dad at work or would she prefer that uh, you're in the stands and, and having a, a beer and some peanuts with them? Well, I think she likes it when I'm, when I'm working and then afterwards she gets to play on her iPad <laughs> but while I'm writing and, and before we head home or out to dinner, whatever the case may be. So that, that, that kind of uh, amuses her and entertains her. So is that that's what she's doing? She's playing on. I assumed she was editing your stories when I saw her sitting well, there. Well, they, they need it, as we both know. <laughs> well, maybe maybe I should send my stuff to her too. Then, <laughs> uh, you know what needed some work, David? <laughs> was UVA at the close of this game against Florida State, and it's it's going to be the story of the year for UVA. The conundrum of man when they were dialed in against Duke in those two meetings. I mean, they looked to me like a Sweet Sixteen team in those games. And then they come out against a Florida State team just decimated by injury, just having a train wreck of a season, and they let it come down to a final shot. And, and, and I'm not going to kill them on the fact that that final shot went in, right? That, that's part of sports. I'm going to kill them on the fact that how did it come down to a final shot right. at home on senior day against a bad Florida State team in a game that you're desperate to win? David, that was, that was an ugly way to close out the, the home slate for the Cavaliers. Six home losses, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's un, that's unheard of in in this most recent portion of the Tony Bennett era when they've been so excellent over the last eight seasons, and you just come you have come to expect better, and I, I'm I'm baffled by it. I thought the Cavaliers would win comfortably, and in full disclosure, Mike, you were there. I was here at home doing Virginia Tech. And Miami remotely, which tipped off an hour before you did. So I was unaware of what transpired and, until my phone started blowing up. And I'm like, eh, no, what, what do you mean? What? Everybody's going, did you see that? And I'm like, what, what, what? And, you know, immediately, of course, I go to Twitter and I watch the replay and I'm like, holy smokes. And it was jarring because you went into that, at least I did, you know, covering UVA, knowing certainly that they're they're capable of, of throwing a stinker out there, right? They, they lost at JMU. They lost at NC State. Um, but going in, the, the narrative for me was they, they desperately need this game. It's senior night for Kihei Clark. They're going to play great again like they did against Duke, and they are going to leave themselves kind of squarely on the bubble. Right, it, it, a win certainly, a win over Florida State, and then a win over Louisville if they get it certainly didn't put them in the NCAA tournament. But it, it would keep them in the picture. That's what you thought would happen. And David, they're up by eleven with about eleven minutes to go in the game. So you're writing the story of you know, okay, you know, took care of business. Nice night for Kihei Clark. At that point, he has uh, six assists and no turnovers. He ends up with a critical turnover in, in the final seconds but gee that's uh, and, and mike that's from that's familiar virginia only had one turnover in the second half against duke the other night and it was crushing crushing right and, and, and that's the, the thing that was so jarring about it was everything had played out 
about as you'd expect. And, and I don't know if, if UVA let off the gas or kind of felt like I felt, right? Like I'm just yeah. as guilty, but it doesn't matter when I do it. With 11 minutes to go, I'm banging out my story because I think I know how this one ends. And maybe with 11 minutes to go, <laughs> they were kind of thinking, okay, we know how this one ends. And David, they did not know how it ends because uh, Matt Cleveland, who is a tremendously talented freshman he for is. Florida State, he took that game over. And I asked Leonard Hamilton after the game about it, and he said, you know, the kid just has the highest basketball IQ of any young player he's been around. And he said he just knew, he, you know, Leonard, Leonard's got his way. He said he knew we needed a little oomph. And, and, he, <laughs> and Cleveland gave him that oomph. He scored their final eight points over 45 seconds, including just a, a miracle game winner on a, a great um, three-quarter court pass. Uh, you know, UVA's gone up by two. On a jumper by Armand Franklin, it looks like they're going to hold on and win this. Um, you know, Franklin hitting the shot just after only hitting one of two free throws and leaving the door open for kind of defeat. Comes down, pulls up just before the key, hits the shot, puts UV up by two. And, and here's Florida State. They got to go the length of the floor. There's one second one on the second. clock. Yeah. And Harrison Prieto, who's a, a sixth-year senior, throws a perfect three-quarter court p- uh, pass. Cleveland catch, flings it at the basket. And David, I mean, no doubt, right, right in. <laughs> and yeah, it was not a bank or anything. No, and it, no, it didn't need to hit off the front of the rim and hang in the air. It was perfect. And then he takes off on this great victory lap. Great, if you're a Florida State fan, I realize Virginia fans didn't enjoy it. Victory lap around the court, uh, a stunning ending. And man, I, I, you know, for for 45 seconds there, Florida State looked pretty good. <laughs> 45 seconds. That's all it takes to to just trash. You know, 30, 39 minutes of of work. And what did Leonard Hamilton say after the game? The pass might have been better than the shot. <laughs> he's, he's not wrong. He called him the weatherman because Harrison Prieto is a uh, is getting a master's degree in meteorology. He's been there six years, and he's, he's not wrong. I mean, it was the pass had to be perfect. It kind of reminds me of you know the the old the Leitner play. Like everything's got a hit. Yeah, Grand Hill. Yeah. And and everybody talks about Leitner, but do they remember Grant Hill? Uh, all the highlights certainly were talking, and rightfully so, about Cleveland's shot. But Harrison Prieto's pass was perfect. Uh, you know, UVA had Caden Shedrick. I was going to say Shedrick was on him, right? Yeah, um, you know, big tall guy. Um, and Armand Franklin was pretty close to Cleveland on the shot. You know, certainly you don't you don't want to foul there, right? Oh, right. Like it's a prayer. I mean, and this so people understand who didn't see the game. This wasn't a shot at the three point line. I mean, this was 30, 32 feet from the basket. Uh, and he's drifting. And he's fall, yeah, kind of falling away. Franklin closing on him with his arm up. Um, so I don't I don't know that I fault Virginia's final play defense, but again, it was the fact that for the last two minutes and certainly for the last 45 seconds, Florida State could just get to the rim whenever they wanted. It, it was a real defensive breakdown. Um, and it was interesting. You know, I said, hey, what happened at the end there when they're able to just get to the basket? And Tony Bennett said he knew his group wasn't dialed in defensively from the first play of the game. Wow. So the first, which I forgot, the first oh, basket. Oh, yeah, because of they the didn't game, know who was guarding who. They were mixed up on their assignments and they give up a bucket. Um, now, there's a whole lot of basketball between then and the end. But for Tony Bennett, it was a sign of, uh-oh, we're not locked in defensively if we don't know who we've got on the first possession. And um, certainly at the end, that showed. Yeah, and, and it's amazing how intuitive a coach can be that way. <laughs> to, to, to know from the yep. opening tip to, to just sense, rut row, 
we we have a problem. And at that point, it's his job to get it resolved, and clearly it didn't get resolved. Yeah, you know, up by 11, you thought <laughs> maybe they had figured it out, but um, as we've just chronicled that ending. Now, now, David, it was the ending of a few things. It was the ending of, most likely, the home yeah. career for Kihei Clark. I spoke to him last week. I, I did an article on him going into the game. He said he has not made up his mind 100% on whether or not he would return to UVA for an extra season. He's got that extra COVID year. He could certainly be done with college basketball. <laughs> He's got a resume that uh, speaks for itself. He could also transfer, right? Mm-hmm. Play closer to home for a year. He, he talked about what it meant to have his parents, both his younger brothers, his grandmother, all his aunts and uncles. He had about 22 people in the stands uh, for his senior day festivities in, in the Florida State game. Um, most of them were there for Duke as well. They kind of came in for the week to get those two games. It certainly felt like um, the end for Kihei Clark. Now, how things played out, <laughs> that could certainly factor into his decision. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. But David, what is – because fans are often split on Kihei Clark. What has Kihei Clark meant to Virginia in your eyes? Hey, Mike, the guy has a ring. <laughs> and – and not only has a ring, it's not like he was a tag-along on that 2019 team when he was a freshman. I mean, he's got the most famous assist in school history. He hit clutch shots throughout his career. I know he didn't shoot it well the other day. He was a very streaky shooter. Witness the Duke game. You know, here, here Duke is leading the league in three-point percentage defense, and Kihei goes crazy. And, and makes six of them in, in, in the first half and get, gets a career-high 25. And then the next game, what was he on Saturday? Was he like four for six? I mean, he shot it terribly on Saturday. Um, but he, he has blown hot and cold from the field. But one thing that never blew hot and cold that was consistent with Kihei Clark was his effort, was his defense, was his leadership. And to me, that's his legacy. Yeah, he, he was three for 16 and 0 of four for three against Florida State. Ooh. But as I mentioned, he had six assists, no turnovers until that final play where right. UVA's up. They're trying to put the game away. I think they're up by one. They're trying to put the game out of reach. And they basically they basically run an ISO for Kihei Clark, which maybe sounds a little funny in retrospect, but he's trying to break down the Florida State defense with the dribble. He just loses the hand on it. The ball goes into the backcourt. Now, Cody Statman, uh, an unheralded senior on senior night, makes a great play to get ahead of the Florida State defender, poke the ball up ahead to Armand Franklin. That's what set up those free throws where Armand hit one of two that that also could have put the game potentially out of reach. Um, but yeah, I think that was sort of a, a painful moment if you're uh, a, someone who, who, like me, has appreciated what Kia Clark has been and... Um, you just thought there that he was going to dribble around, maybe get to the rim and, and kick out to a teammate, maybe pull up and hit a floater in the lane and, and kind of you know salt things away on senior day. It didn't go that way. David, it may or may not have been the, the end of his JPJ career. I think it was the end of Virginia's hopes for an NCA at large bid. Am, am I right there? I mean, it now at this point, it's, it's win it all in Brooklyn or bust. Yeah. <sighs> Because they're probably the, the way the bracket would fall for them, Mike. You know, they they might get a decent win before the semifinals. So yeah, they they probably do need to to cut down the nets in, in Brooklyn. That was 
that, that was just a killer loss on Saturday. And, and, and you know, they'll go back, and, and, and every team does, right? Every team that misses the NCAA tournament goes back and looks at a couple games. Navy in November, mm-hmm. I don't know. That one doesn't bug me, right? Like, this was a new team, a new roster, um, two transfers playing key minutes, some young guys playing new roles. Um, certainly, you'd like that one back <laughs> if you're Virginia. And I feel like the way they've been playing here in February, they, they would beat Navy probably pretty soundly. Um, but that is what it is. The loss at JMU in December is a killer. The yep. loss at NC State is a killer. And Florida State is a killer. I mean, people can talk about the Tech game and um, the weight game that they really had a good shot at that would have been a big win for them. To me... And again, you don't know how the bubble is going to play out and how things are going to break, but JMU, NC State, Florida State, three games that it's very reasonable to ask this team to win. And I think if they get those three, we're having a whole different discussion right now. Iowa. Iowa came down to the wire. One point loss at home. Yep. Game they easily could have won. And you mentioned the NC State game, Mike. That is the only home ACC contest that the Wolfpack won this season they're done in in home games because they close with two on the road nc state at home in acc games is one and nine it's brutal brutal and it's the only thing that may make us revisit if you remember we spoke on the last episode about coaching hot seats um and we both kind of felt that um you know, maybe everybody would be okay this year. You pointed out, you know, some of the contract situation. I talked about the fact that these athletic departments are still reeling from the impact yeah. of the pandemic. But man, Kevin Keats, and again, and we talked about this last time, that is a program that has expectations. And one of them is that if you show up at the arena, you're going to get a good show. And Wolfpack fans did, did not get that at home. But yeah, to your point, I mean, there are moments in this schedule that I think Virginia, when it's all said and done, will look back and say, not, man, if only we could have found a way, like we should have won three or four more games and had this not be a discussion. And I think that's a shame because I think what Virginia did this year was impressive. I think they rebuilt their their roster. I think they rebuilt their lineup. I think they found their identity. I think they got better as the year went on. I think they played their best basketball here at the end. The win over Duke, the close loss uh, with Duke, um, the two wins over Miami. I, I think they they built themselves into an NCAA tournament caliber team. And it's just those slip-ups along the way, the inconsistency that's going to rob them, I believe, of that opportunity. Agreed. And, you know, Mike, in most seasons – I would think this team would have a chance to run the table in Brooklyn, but four games in four days, I, I, I don't see it. Well, and, and David, somebody asked me this the other day, well, if they can beat Duke at Duke, who can't they beat? And that's not the question, right? There's nobody in the ACC tournament that I say Virginia has no chance of beating. It's right. what you just said. And have we seen anything from this team that makes you say they can be that level of consistent? I'd argue the opposite. Right. The fact that they didn't finish off Florida State, (laughs) some of the other losses we just talked about. If we've seen anything from this team, it's that, yeah, at their best, I think they're pretty darn good. Right. The team that we went in Cameron and saw beat Duke, that was Sweet 16 good. Um, The team that lost at home to Florida State, that's missed the tournament bad. So and that's the problem is you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Can they dial up their Duke level intensity for four games in a row against teams that, let's face it, you know, maybe playing pretty desperate ball also, right? Like, I mean, I think we feel better about some of the top teams in the ACC making the field, but if I'm coaching Miami, Wake, Notre Dame, North Carolina, my message going to Brooklyn is, hey guys, you better get it done here. 
and, yeah. and not leave any doubt. So I think they're going to be playing, as opposed to other years where maybe the best teams in the tournament, uh, the ACC tournament, were better, but maybe they were also playing with a little house money, like they knew they were in and be great to win an ACC tournament, but not catastrophic if they don't. I think the good teams in the ACC are going to be playing like they're playing for all the marbles this time, which is only going to make a run in Brooklyn more difficult. Yeah. When you're desperate teams, they, they, I always pick the most desperate team if I'm unsure who's going to win. And in Brooklyn, that's going to be hard to gauge. (laughs) A lot of desperation to go around at the Barclays Center. Uh, now, a team that, that I think will be in that category, but they're they're certainly playing the kind of basketball that would um, get them off the bubble on, on the plus side is Virginia Tech. Uh, they've won eight of their last nine, including the, the game that um, you, know, you were talking about, beating Miami, pulling out a win there that um, they absolutely had to have. David, things are clicking right now for, for Mike Young's group. They really are, Mike. And, and here's the crazy thing. They're clicking at a ton. They've won eight of their last nine, including four of their last five. But in in their last five games, the Hokies, who throughout the season have been the ACC's and one of the nation's best three-point shooting team, the last five games, they've been awful shooting beyond the arc, like 28% awful. Mm-hmm. And they were awful again Saturday at Miami, seven for 24. Yes, Sean Padula was 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 two for nine. Hunter Couture was two for six. Aline over two. Murphy over two. But yet somehow, some way, they're they're winning games. They're winning with defense. They're winning with interior play. Uh, on Saturday, they shot eighty-two percent inside the arc. Eighty-two <laughs> percent. And th- what that is is paying attention to the game plan because Mike Young told them. Miami is the worst two-point percentage defense in the ACC. Attack them inside. And that's what the Hokies did. Yeah, Kevin Aluma was eight for nine from the floor. Um, also, a pair of free throws had 18 points. And uh, I, I just think that if you're Virginia Tech and you have that ability to score inside with Aluma and to play great defense, then when your three-point shots are falling, Oof. You're you're an elite team, right? Like now we're talking again about Sweet 16 level, but you know if they're not falling, you have something to fall back on to win games. So many teams, if they don't have their three point shot, they're done for. Um, and I think it's a credit to, to Virginia Tech. I also think it's a credit to Mike Young and Virginia Tech that they have developed depth during the year. And I know fans have been on Coach Young. You know, why isn't Darius Maddox in the starting lineup? Or Sean Padula, why don't they make a change? Now get Storm Murphy out, put put one of these guys in. Why isn't he playing the young guys more? I tend to, I mean, I'm a Mike Young fan, admittedly. I tend to think he knows what he's doing. And, you know, the fact that Padula played 22 minutes in this game and Maddox played 21, it's not that Mike Young was an idiot and forgot to play them earlier. It's that he's worked them up to the point where they're ready to play 20 minutes a game and not just play 20 minutes a game, David, but be the contributors, right? Padula had 17, Maddox had 13, and the game winner. Uh, I, to me, that is a brilliant coaching job, not uh, a late adjustment. Well, and Mike, you mentioned Padula and Maddox, and I crunched some numbers after the game Saturday to kind of get a grasp of their impact here recently. Sean Padula. Scored 19 points total in Virginia Tech's first nine ACC games. Last nine, 71 points. 
Maddox scored 19 points in the Hokies' first eight ACC games. Past 10, 83. (laughs) I mean, those guys have become integral parts of this squad. And that, that game winner by Maddox on Saturday, you can argue, and, and, and I audibly said to the TV, I, I talked to the TV, of course, like we all do. I said, no, you're shooting it too soon because Couture deflects the inbounds pass. And the clock is at like 12 seconds. They got plenty of time. And Maddox just takes a dribble back. And he's 6'5", Sam Wardenberg's 6'10", and he shoots a step-back three over Sam Wardenberg. And darn if he doesn't make it. And, you know, it gave Miami 10 seconds still to to, to, to run a set there in, in the half court, which turned out to be really bad. But, but still, just the confidence that it took to just step back and let it fly. Now, was that a shot we think was a great shot because it went in? Like, if he misses there with all that time left. Are, are we having the opposite conversation of saying, God, young kid, what was he thinking? Um, trying to elevate over a near seven footer from that far. Like, is it one of those situations? Well, and in fact, I asked Mike Young after the game, be honest, what was your on the bench reaction when he cut that loose? He said, no, no problem with it. He said, I'm always on that kid to take more shots. And if, if you look at his stats, you can see why. He's shooting better than 50% from three. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a pretty deep three. But, yes, <laughs> I agree. It's, it's, uh, and, again, it's part of what I was just talking about with Mike Young and playing these guys more. Sometimes with a, a young player, it's slowing them down, right? getting them not to chuck up every shot, getting them not to go to the rim every time. And other guys have different personalities. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a reason that you're not – getting a guy out there is because he's going to pass on too many open shots and he doesn't have that confidence. And And Maddox has it certainly now, and it's going to be a big part of whatever Tech does down the stretch. David, they've got a couple games left. They're at 18 and 11. They're at 10 and 8 in the conference. They've got the third best net ranking at 41, um, which again, it's a little bit of a mystery to us, but, but the Miami win was a big one for them. Uh, what do we think here, Virginia Tech? Are they a team that's in and needs to keep themselves there? Do they still need to play themselves in? Um, Is it still too far a road to go? What what do you got for for Tech's shot here? I don't think the Hokies are remotely in the field. If if the tournament started today, they'd be home, I think. And can't lose to Louisville tomorrow night at home. Can't lose at Clemson on Saturday. Need, Need to close out. With, with two two W's and then go to Brooklyn and win at least one, perhaps two there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting fight in Brooklyn because, like you said, a lot of desperate teams. It's going to be an interesting uh, selection Sunday, especially for, for, you know, for you and I covering Tech and UVA. It's Seth Greenberg's days, right? We lived the bubble. <laughs> that was the, It was the bubble beat. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been that in a while. Right? right when when these teams have gotten good, they've gotten comfortably good. The ACC has been comfortably good. You know, the ACC's question was, would they get nine, ten, eleven, you know, teams into the into the field? Not this year. This year, it's going to be very different. The way the ACC is perceived uh, at their own hand, right? The way they play their non-conference is different. Um, it's going to be a fascinating selection Sunday for the ACC, and that brings us to this week's edition of Who You Got. 
Thank you, Mike. It has been a bit of a down year for the ACC, but five or six teams in the league go into the final week still believing that they have a shot at making the NCAA tournament. Who do you have dancing from the ACC? Let's start with David. Well, guys, if you're asking me who can afford to lose its (laughs) remaining regular season games and still breathe easy, that would be a very short list. That would be Duke and Notre Dame. I think at the end of the day, Miami is going to get in. That leaves it. That's three. Wake Forest needs to be careful, really careful. Its non-conference strength of schedule is 336. That's dreadful. Now, I don't fault Steve Forbes with a completely remade roster. He didn't want to play a tough schedule. But now it forces him to be even better in the regular season. But I think the Deacons will get into making it four. North Carolina can't lose tonight against Syracuse. If the Tar Heels win tonight, I think the Tar Heels will make it five. After that, I am not confident. Virginia Tech, I think, needs to win three or four more. Can they get there? Maybe. But right now, I'd say five would be an optimum number for the league. Okay. Thank you, David. Mike? Yeah, I, I think your points are all spot on. And I think what, what's interesting is it's going to be interesting. Who is the ACC rooting for when <laughs> we get to Brooklyn, right? Because normally if you're the ACC, you want seeds six through nine or 10 to make the deep run and win the tournament. Uh, because if they do that, they're in. And chances are you're one through five. We're already pretty safe this year. Other than Duke, I don't know that I feel great about anybody's resume like you said if they were to struggle the rest of the way i look at miami i look at wake forest i look at north carolina and certainly virginia tech as teams that have to play well in brooklyn to get there and and we've seen good teams lose early in the acc tournament again maybe with less on the line but uh, i'm with you i've got duke and notre dame in um I believe Miami will get there. I believe Wake will get there. Carolina is so interesting to me because they do have the net ranking on their side. And they have looked at times, and I know Josh Pastner got absolutely slaughtered for saying this, they've looked at times like a Final Four team. They've also looked at times like an NIT team. Carolina is the one I just, I don't know what to make of them. And I'm going to be so interested to see what they do in Brooklyn. Um, certainly, you know, all sites for us are going to be UVA and tech and, and what they're playing for. But Carolina to me is the most interesting story because Hubert Davis in his first season with the Tar Heels, he talked so many times about having to coach effort and, and that want and that desire, right? And he said, Armando Baycott's got it. He's got it every game. He needed everybody else to have it. Will Brooklyn, will that setting be the, the thing that brings that out of the Tar Heels? Um, I think they're a great pick to win the ACC tournament if they respond the way I think they're going to respond. Right, David? Like if, if they get to Brooklyn and are like, okay, now our fire is going, our, our engines are, are revved. I like the Carolinas, Carolinas chance of winning it all there. If they come out and Hubert's got to pull that effort from them, man, I, I think they could really leave themselves in some jeopardy. I'm fascinated to see them Saturday at Cameron. Coach K's final game, obviously, it's going to be such – it's a historic moment for the rivalry, for college basketball. But, Mike, the first time Duke and Carolina got together this season at the Smith Center, the Tar Heels didn't show up. They were awful for 40 minutes and just got embarrassed at home. If that North Carolina team shows up at Cameron – 
on Saturday, they're going to lose by 40. Mm-hmm. I I am just fascinated. I'm, I'm, to me, this is a really, really intriguing week for Carolina. T- tonight against Syracuse and then Saturday at Duke. And certainly a win or even a good performance against Duke, that could be the thing that, that spurs them onto a good showing in Brooklyn as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But I think it's a good. I think you're right. It's going to be a great litmus test of can they get up for the big moment because they didn't the first time. <laughs> I mean, they they certainly didn't. Can they get up for this big moment? Can they get up for Brooklyn? Because David, there's a lot of talent on that team now. They're dealing with some some injury questions that, that I guess we I don't know that we have any updates. We'll have to see um, that certainly could could play into this. But the talent is there. If the drive is there, I would think to to be pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, guy, you know, Baycott, Manic. Love Davis. I mean, they've they've got some got some people who can score now. Yeah, Baycott. I mean, he's seventh in the league in scoring. He leads the league in rebounding. In some years, he would be a clear player of the year choice. Carolina struggles make it not so much. But um, you know that that's it's such an interesting case with him. And I want to ask you now where you go for for player of the year, and then we'll talk about coach of the year. But um, how much when you think about the player of the year do you weigh? what their team is doing. If you remember a bunch of years back, you know, early in my time covering tech, Eric green mm-hmm. was the ACC player. There. And, and Eric green, I it got my vote. I thought he was far and away the best player in the conference that year, a little bit of a down year in terms of individual talent too. But Eric green was outstanding on just a terrible Virginia tech team. Yeah, didn't he lead the country in scoring? And, and he led tech in, in everything, rebounding assists, steals minutes. I mean, he was, he was scintillating to watch and just poured his heart in every night, but really bad, really bad tech team. David, how do you weigh team success when you're considering who the ACC player of the year is? I usually do weigh it some. I don't make it the overriding uh, factor, but I think any, anybody you're considering for player of the year this season is on a team that's in the upper half of the league. Really, it's a two-horse race between Alondis Williams and Armando Baycott. You know, Baycott's having the best rebounding season in the league since Tim Duncan in 97. That's pretty good company. And Williams is on pace still to be the first player ever to lead the league in scoring and assists. That's pretty special as well. Uh, right now, if I were voting, I would vote for Alondis Williams as player of the year. He, he certainly transformed that Wake Forest lineup. And um, it is interesting because I, I think a lot of people look at Paolo Bancaro from Duke, uh, the best player on the best team. Mm-hmm. And he's not having a bad year, right, David? 16.7 points a game, eight rebounds. But Armando Baycott, he's averaging a double-double. Right, he's got, he's at twelve point five rebounds a game to go with those sixteen sixteen point three points a game. He's had what twenty one, twenty two double doubles now this season. That's unbelievable. He's been consistent with his production. He's been consistent with his effort. If Carolina was a little better, I think he's the slam dunk choice. It's the fact that they're not. Uh, look at Darian Sebron from a numbers standpoint. Yeah, he's fourth in the league in scoring at seventeen seven. He's second in the league in rebounding at eight point three. He might be a clear choice, except that as we've chronicled earlier today, yeah. State is a bit of a train wreck. Mm-hmm. So I tend to agree with you that that it's kind of Williams or Baycott there. I think Bancaro will still get a lot of votes. He will, uh, um, and 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 not undeserving. Um, you know, I, I say it almost dismissively, oh, best player on the best team, but he's, he's pretty darn good. Yeah. And he was really good the other night at, at Syracuse. 
you know, UVA is the one team, you know, bancaro has been in double figures every time out this season, except twice against Jaden Gardner and the Cavaliers. Now, if you had told me going into the year or had asked me coach of the year, and you told me that, that Duke was the runaway best team in the league, I'd say sentimentality right. <laughs> that, that Coach K is winning that award. If you had then told me that the rest of the top five included Notre Dame, Miami, and Wake, <laughs> that makes things interesting. I think Mike Bray has done an outstanding job with that basketball team. I think Jim Laranega has remade sort of the identity and the look of Miami, has done an outstanding job. And Steve Forbes at Wake Forest, I mean, that is a completely different roster, complete rebuild. Um, for them to be at 22-8 and eight overall um, is just staggering. So I, I think it's a really tight race this time. David, who do you lean towards for Coach of the Year? Steve Forbes. I really do. And maybe it's it's my personal bias because I had so – I thought Miami was going to be decent, and I thought Notre Dame was going to be decent. I thought Wake was going to be awful. And that's – and, and and Steve Forbes has said, look, I get it why, why you guys in the media thought we were going to be bad because you had no idea of what kind of impact these transfers were going to have. And, you know, who could have known that Alondis Williams would go from a bit player at Oklahoma to a potential player of the year in the ACC and that Jake LaRavia would, al- would arrive from Indiana State? And become an all ACC player. Not even Steve Forbes figured that out until he got him on the court and, and, and saw what he had. But in my mind, right now, I would vote for Steve Forbes. Mike, do you care to guess when the last time Mike Shashevsky was the ACC coach of the year? I, I can't remember, but I know we've talked about how uh, it's not as recent as I would think. <laughs> 2000. Yeah, which is unfair. <laughs> In a sense, because Mike Krzyzewski has been, I would say, has been the best coach in the ACC for those two decades <laughs> that, that he's been un, unrewarded, I guess you could say. Um, now, he's won some other things in that time that I think he would uh, yeah. tell you are, are more valuable to him. But he certainly is the victim of and you know, Think about the preseason poll. Duke was a runaway number one. So if you go by the argument of, okay, who overachieved or, or who did more than we expected? Well, Duke didn't, right? Yeah. We expected Duke to be the best team in the ACC, and they were. That doesn't mean it's easy to do, right? That doesn't mean that just because you're picked number one and you got all the talent, you're going to win, right? Kentucky's had some years where they've had all the talent and haven't been able to put it together. Um, so I, I do think <laughs> if this is possible in a year where uh, he was the story every arena he went to, that that maybe Mike Krzyzewski could be a little underappreciated. <laughs> but, but David, it's a 15-team league. Wake Forest was picked to finish 13. Yeah. Miami was picked to finish 12. Notre Dame, who again, I, I thought would be really good this year. I, I was high on them coming in, but they were picked to finish eight. Um, now, for those teams to move up, somebody has to move down. And, and Florida State certainly has had a dreadful season. Louisville has had a dreadful season. I think Syracuse has been on the disappointing side, no doubt. Um, NC State has been on the disappointing side, no doubt. But um, it, for me, it's going to be one of those coaches who, um, and maybe overachieved isn't right, because Steve Forbes will tell you he thought he had a pretty good team, but uh, overachieved the expectations at least. Um, I would think that that's where uh, we go. It isn't all ACC in Virginia. So before we get out of here, I want to go to this week's edition of, of Take It or Leave It, which is going to take us around the Commonwealth. Thank you, Mike. Take it or leave it, the best basketball team in the Commonwealth does not play in the ACC. Take it or leave it. Let's start with Mike. I, I think the 
team playing the best basketball. <laughs> I don't know if they're the best basketball team. Um, I think it's VCU. Um, they've won seven in a row. They're at 20 and seven overall. They've got a net ranking uh, of 53. I think they've got three quad one wins, which is the same as Virginia. Uh, I really like what, what Mike Rhodes has done in, in getting that team together. Um, I think right now, if you told me, hey, here's your team and you've got to beat somebody in Virginia, you can scratch one team off your potential opponents list. I think VCU is the team I don't want to play. And then yet Tech's been been very hot, and certainly Virginia, the way they played against Duke and, and down the stretch has been good. I really like the way – I think VCU's playing with a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum. Um, I like the Rams right now as the best team in, in the Commonwealth and maybe the team that has the best chance to, to be a story in March. Thank you, Mike. David? Agreed. I think the Rams are the best team right now, and it's because of their defense. You, you just don't want to – have to run your half-court offense against these guys. Uh, Heck, if you can get into your half-court offense, because the Rams can really cause issues when they guard you three-quarter court or even full court. They, I believe they're second or third nationally in defensive efficiency. They force a lot of turnovers, convert those turnovers into points. You know, they've much like Virginia Tech, VCU has developed some depth with Brown and Deloach coming coming off the bench. You know, Ace Baldwin and Vince Williams and Keyshawn Curry have been terrific all season. Curry's just having a great senior year. Good for that young man. He's a really, really exceptional defender on the perimeter. Pretty darn good shooter. And we were talking earlier, Mike, about what a intriguing final week of the regular season it is for Carolina. Well, VCU has equally interesting final two regular season games at home tomorrow night against St. Bonaventure and then on the road Saturday to close it at St. Louis. If the Rams can get those two, which is, believe me, no given, they could easily lose both of them. But if they could get those two headed to D.C. toward the Atlantic 10 tournament, I would really like their chances of an at-large bid. Yeah, I think VCU's got the best shot of an at-large bid. Some other teams in the Commonwealth, they play in what are, I think, pretty clearly, most likely one-bid leagues. Uh, oh, yeah. But there, there's some teams here that have a chance to be part of the big dance. Norfolk State. The regular season champion in the MIAC, uh, Liberty, who's having another really strong year in, in the A Sun, their first in, in the East um, or the North, whatever they call their divisions there. <laughs> I can't keep them straight. And then, David, you spent some time with Longwood and, and Longwood's coach, um, Griff Aldrich, who's an interesting story. Uh, they're having a breakthrough, really breakthrough season. Oh, yeah. You talk about a team, Mike, that had one winning season in the previous decade before Griff Aldrich arrived and this is his fourth year and they've been steadily making progress. They were 10 and 10 in the big South last year. And now this year they are 15 and one. They are the top seed headed to the conference tournament this week in, in Charlotte. Their leading scorer, Justin Hill, little known fact is the son of former UVA all American and ACC player of the year, Donna Holt Hill and, and their leading rebounder, is the former Virginia Tech and Wake Forest player, Isaiah Wilkins. 
How, how about those, those connections? And I've got one more for you that I did not know about until I was leaving uh, the Virginia game against Florida State. I was walking to my car w- with a, a friend of ours from the local CBS station, Preston Willett. Um, he's a sports anchor at CBS. And we, we got to talking about Longwood, and I did not know his connection to Longwood. David, I don't know if you know Preston's connection. But the Lancers play their games in an arena called Willett Hall. Mm-hmm. It is named for Dr. Henry Willett Jr., who was um, a former president at the university and was Preston's grandfather. How about that? Um, huge basketball fan, a huge supporter of athletics, and actually passed away recently. And um, you know what a shame that, that he isn't there to, to enjoy this incredible run. But um, at the same time, you know what a, what a nice kind of tribute that uh, you know after his passing that kind of the vision maybe he had and um, in the arena that bears his name and, and they're putting this together so uh, yeah. there are some fun teams in the commonwealth that are going to be worth keeping an eye on and um, you know for our point of view i hope they all find a way into the big dance because it's such a great event and moment for, for the players and as we saw we have we've seen with teams um, anything can happen once you get there oh yeah and, and, and a note about liberty mike darius mcgee that little dude, <laughs> five foot nine. All he did was go, go for forty-seven the other day to beat Kennesaw State on Senior Day. That's a heck of a Senior Day for that young man to get forty-seven. He's the number two scorer in the country, averaging twenty-four-seven a game. And here's the crazy thing: forty-seven, eh, not even a season high. <laughs> he had he had forty-eight earlier this year against Florida Gulf Coast. And that is the kind of player who the, the NCAA tournament stage that finally kind of shines a light on, right? You know about it and, and maybe some people around the, but like, that's the kind of story that um, March Madness brings out. And that's why all of these teams that we just talked about fighting so hard to get there. And it, and it is, it is going to be an interesting fight here down the stretch. It's going to be fun to watch. We hope you had fun listening today. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time. Next time.